So we're taking a break from our usual series, uh, the one we've been doing in David and Goliath. I keep saying we're going to finish the series, we're going to finish the series. Uh, we are going to finish the series very, very soon. Just uh, hopefully all being well next week. But with, this, with the situation in our world today, uh, with the change in dynamics of what's happening, particularly in Eastern Europe, uh, this, is a, this is an opportunity for us to consider what's happening in our world and to consider what the Bible, what God says regarding that. So we're looking at that together this morning. Let me just start with uh, just looking back to 1914. Uh, well, how many years ago is that? It's, it's almost 100 years. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember those days, Brenton? Of course you do. Yeah, 1914, I'm sure there are people still living from that time. Look, it's nothing to laugh about, but it was the beginning of the war from the 28th of July to the 1st of November 1918. It killed a massive 9 million military personnel, 5 million citizens of countries. It was right across Europe, even into Asia. It involved the US, Russia, other European countries. Turkey was involved. It had massive, massive ramifications. In fact, it was so awful, they said at the end of that, H.G. Wells in his book, that it would be the war to end all wars. That was in 1918. Just two decades later, Hitler's armies marched on September 1st, 1939, marched into Poland and thus began. Just two decades after saying there would never be a war like it again, the worst war the world has ever seen. And so what we're looking at this morning together, what we're asking is, what's the Christian's response? What do we do? When we look at our history, when we look at what's going on in our world today, where is God in all this? What has he to say about it? Where is God in war, in crises, in suffering, in trouble? Where is God? And as we ask that question, we're looking at Psalm 46. It's a psalm that really uh, hits head on, I guess, what we're facing as a world today. What people in Europe are facing today. We're going to break up the psalm in three parts. Uh, The last part, if you're thinking this is going on a bit, the last part is the briefest part of the message. We're three, three points. The first we'll major on in particular as we divide the psalm into three parts. So firstly this, firstly, verses 1 to 3, God can be trusted in crisis. God can be trusted in crisis. First one of the psalm begins, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Hey, right at the outset, the psalm puts this marker point that whatever the trouble, God can be found there. I know when we're in difficulty, look, when things are going wrong in your life, when the world's not what it's meant to be, our reaction to God can be one of 
self-alienation? Do you find that? That when things don't go in the way we expect them to go, it's God who gets the blame. It's Him that we, that, 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 that we uh, vent our anger towards, whether verbally or internally. And yet the psalmist tells us, at those moments, God is nearest to us. Let me break some of this down. Refuge here is, in military terms, it's something defensive. And yet, it's something that God provides. It's, it's stability and it's security. In trouble, God provides us defense. He provides stability, security, and continuity to life. That's the point. Strength is, 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 is the opposite. Strength is, in military terms, something that is offensive. That's something that's moving forward. It's, it's the, the idea here is that, is that there's an agent who is acting not just in our defence. Defence is only good so far. But here's an agent who's acting both in our defence, he's a refuge, and he's acting offensively for us. He's fighting our cause. And so the message of the psalm right at the beginning here, Christian, is that in our trouble, God is both protecting us and fighting for us. Moreover, he's an ever-present help in trouble. Where is God in our crisis? He's ever-present. There's a comedian I recall from back in the UK. I'm not sure if it's uh, Jimmy Cricket. Has anybody ever heard of Jimmy Cricket? You're showing your age here. Yeah, uh, uh, Jimmy Cricket is a long, he's an old, is uh, a well-known, established comedian in Britain from years back. I think it was Jimmy Cricket or somebody else. He he talks about how he learned karate, and that with his bare foot he could uh, take down a gang. With his bare foot. He can, he can break through walls. With his bare foot, he could disarm uh, a man with a gun. And then he says, the other night I was out and I got beaten up by a gang of youths. He goes, and, and guess why? Guess why? Because I couldn't take my socks off quick enough. Whilst I was taking my socks off to get to a barefootedness, they beat me up. Look, and I would suggest that here's the thing about God. He always has his socks off. He's always got his socks off. That's what the psalm is telling us here. He's ever present. He's not just there. He's ever present means he's, he's there to assist. God never has an excuse. Okay? He never has an excuse. He never fails to show up. There's never an emergency. And we have to understand this is what the Word of God is telling us, friends. That there's never an emergency. Well, God is not present when he cannot be reached. He is always there. This is regardless of what I'm feeling. Think about feelings and emotions. If you're anything like me, you know, you can be one moment, you're up in the, your head's in the cloud, you're all enthusiastic, the next minute, oh, wow, everything's against me. Do you have those? Do you get that? I get that. The thing is, you cannot rely on our feelings as a gauge of reality. Okay? And so the Word of God it tells us this, regardless of how I feel, God is an ever-present 
help. He's there. And, and that, what's that meant to do? Is to make us feel safe. Famous Aussie film, Crocodile Dundee. I mean, I don't know how famous it is in Australia. Okay, I haven't watched it since I've been here. No, we have actually. We've watched it uh, a few months back. Uh, but it's very popular uh, overseas. And I remember watching that. And there's a scene in there in Crocodile Dundee 2. They're in New York now. They leave the bush. Uh, is it Mick? What's his name? Mick? Mick Dundee? Mick Dundee uh, is obviously modelled on Brenton, clearly. Okay. Uh, Mick Dundee uh, is in... He's in New York, uh, and Sue, the reporter, she's there with him, uh, and they get attacked by, uh, by a couple of guys who've got a knife. And they, you, know, you know the story, don't you? Mick Dundee pulls out his knife. He goes, that's not a knife. And, and he pulls out this, this thing behind me there. That's a knife. Uh, and he obviously chases away these guys. And, and, and Sue says at the end, you know, Mick, I always feel safe with you. You make me feel safe. The psalm is is telling us, Christian, that as those who believe in him, there's this assurance that he's always present. That we should feel safe. Hence Jesus' words in Matthew 18, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Verses 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging sea line. means, think about this. How far does God's help go? I mean, what are the limits? If you want my help, there's real limits, okay? We all have our limits, limits of expertise, limits of where we can be, limits of when we can be where we need to be. What are God's limits? Listen to the psalm. Though the earth give way, mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar. This is what you call uh, uh, an extinction-level event. From one of the movies about those end, end of the world disasters and Ellie, E-L-E this is speaking about an extinction, extinction level event and what's God saying? though that happens though there's catastrophe of a nature that, that we can only only fear okay though we're facing war Though we're facing the worst kind of war imaginable, I mean, none of us would dare think about a World War Three, would we? In, a, in an age where nuclear armament is very, very prevalent, who would think of something like that? But here's what the Word of God says, that, that even in a situation like that, though the, though the earth give way, that everything that we know to be real falls apart. We are not to fear. Who could say that? The Bible says it. God's word says it. That though that becomes a reality, 
that's encapsulating our world, we're not to fear. Period. Full stop. That is God's word to us. This is what Psalm 46 says to the world at large, says to us that in catastrophe, catastrophe, we're not to fear. Let me ask you, what place does fear have in our lives? We're living through COVID. That deposits fear in our lives, doesn't it? Fear of catching the disease, fear of what it may do to us. If we're living in Eastern Europe, there's very real fear of what soldiers marching down your street may do. There's very real fear, isn't there? What that may escalate into. Here's what God's word says to us. We are not to fear. And that's easy said. And it's easy to preach. It's just just words, isn't it? But the Bible instructs us, it commands us, that though the world itself is imploding around us, the position of the Christian, this is what... This is our distinctive as those who believe in Jesus. Is that we are not to fear. And, and by that, the point being made is that, is that we are to take decisive action to not fear. That we are to, we're to willfully not fear. We are to choose not to fear. This is meant to be an affirmation. I will not fear. I don't know if you ever do this. I do it sometimes in the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. Don't tell anybody. Seriously. Sometimes when we used to do set up here of an evening, on a Saturday evening, if I turn up first, I'd be too scared to walk into the building. I'd be waiting for the, for the other guy to come. That's what we're doing on Sunday mornings now. Okay? I, I, I fear the dark. But you know one of the things I do when, I fear the, when I'm in the dark? I tell myself, put yourself together, Montez. Don't be scared. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. And here's the point, you know, in, in more serious scenarios, whatever the scenario, that we have to, by choice, by will, choose and decide and affirm, we will not fear. Remember we said David in the psalm, made that affirmation. Hey, sometimes Christians, it's good to speak to yourself. Next time we're in fear, if we're in fear now, you know God, His Word says to you, instructs you, do not fear. And 1 Peter, in the book of the New Testament, written by Jesus' disciple, tells us, here's what we do, we're to cast our anxiety, our fears, on Him. Because He cares. God, he is. Thank you, Stephanie. God cares. So look, firstly, God can be trusted. I said our first point will be the longest. God can be trusted. Number two, God is with us in crises. We've already just begun to look at that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to span out now. God is with us. And I should have the, 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 the definitive article there, the, really, because God is with us in 
in the crisis. That's the point I want to get across here. That's the point of the psalm, that God is with us in the crisis. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. This is using imagery. The Bible often uses imagery to communicate truth, sometimes complex truth. This picture of the city of God is a picture of God's people. We are, the gathering here this morning of Living Word Bible Church, is the city of God. Another terminology the Bible uses for us is that we are the heavenly Jerusalem. We are, another term, the sanctuary of God. We are the temple of the living God, Paul says in Corinthians. So these are all images that the Bible uses. The image of the city here is an image of God's people. And here's what the Bible says, that that there's a city of God, God's people, it's the holy place, and it's where the Most High dwells. God's presence exists, dwells, is found in God's people, in God's city, amongst God's people. Where is God when, when there's chaos reigning? He's looking for you. He's pursuing you. Psalm 23 is my favourite psalm. It's probably my most favourite part of the Bible. I go there almost every single day. Seriously. You think that by now, by now I'd know it and I could just read the, say the words in my mind. I'm sure I can do that. But there's something you can't... There's something about reading. There's something about seeing the words. They reiterate the truth. I go there regularly, almost daily, and I love these words in Psalm 23 verse 6. My, uh, my Bible college uh, principal, uh, my Bible college principal from the UK, once preached on this, and he said this, and so I'm quoting him. Uh, he did the detailed Hebrew exegesis, and he came up with this conclusion, okay? The Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It's underrated language in the English. Surely God's goodness and love will follow me. He says the language is actually much stronger, much more dynamic, much more aggressive. This is speaking about God pursuing you. God hunting you down. God tracking you. And so when when he talks about God sitting, God's presence, I think we have to understand this, friends, in the light of God. Where is God's presence when I need him? It's Seeking you out, it's finding you, it's tracking you, it's homing in on you. God's presence, and here's the thing, Christian, we often think we have to go and find God. You know, as somehow that we're these all powerful beings that are, we can somehow find Him. Hey, you will never find God on your own endeavors. Who can find God? But here's the point you don't have to find Him. He will track you down in your calamity. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Second World War, one of those who spoke up, stood up against the Nazi regime and found himself in prison, is eventually executed. But when they sealed him in a room where he had no outside influence, and they did that because they said they wanted to keep God from him, you know what Bonhoeffer's response was? Well, they don't realise it. 
God's here with me. He's in the room. You can't keep God out. It's what the doctrine of omnipresence is. He's everywhere. And the point, regardless, God will find you, Christian. Don't you worry in your calamity that you've got to somehow make an extra effort to find God, to let him know. Because he may not know. He knows. He has tracked you down. He will track you down. And he's with you. And notice here a really interesting thing because in verses 2 to 3 we've got the chaos of, of an LA event, extinction level event going on. Absolute chaos worldwide it seems, or at least in the world of the psalmist. And then, and then he goes straight from that, from 2 to 3, into verse 4 when he says, so he's talking about raging waters and chaotic waters and mountains imploding and falling into the sea. It gives you this picture of chaos and it shifts immediately to the next verse when he says these words, verse 4, there is another water, called, water reality. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God where God dwells. Can you see what he's saying? That amidst chaos, Christian, whilst there's chaos in your world around you, maybe chaos in your street right this moment, in your apartment, in your life. Whilst that chaos exists, simultaneously, God puts the Christian, the Christian community, the community of people who believe in him, in a place where, that, where there's absolute tranquility and peace and calmness. It's a picture that amidst that bon offer, Amidst a war when there's chaos all around him, when they try to shut Jesus out from him, could say, Hey, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. It goes on to God is with us in the crisis. And verse 5 notice God's timing. God is within us. She will not fall. God is going to sort this out. God will help her. At the break of day. So this is envisages, doesn't it, a night scene. And what is, when does God's help come? Sometime later. That's the point being made here. God will help her at the break of day. And I think the point of the psalm is here is, it's certain God's going to assist, God's going to help God's going to come to our aid. It's certain because God is with us. He pursues us. He finds us. But God's help comes on his own agenda. God's help comes at his timing. And I think what the point's been here, and I think I've got a picture there, Matt. I think what the psalmist is calling us to do, as you can see there, Christian, we're to trust God's timing. That's the point here. Before we shake our fists at him, before we self-implode, before we give in, before we curse God and die, we're to trust his timing. He always turns up at the right time. His help is always timed. There's, there's a subtle pointer here in the psalm. 
it's one of the reasons that, uh, as students of the Bible, as those who, who preach and teach the Bible, we rely on men who are far smarter than we are. In my case, you're thinking that's not very hard. Okay, thank you. Okay, we rely on people who are much smarter than we are. We read books of men who have lived before us, scholars, men and women who have dedicated their lives to the study of Scripture, connecting all the dots, you know, so that we get an all-round picture of the Bible. We use these commentaries in preparation for sermons. I encourage you as a congregation to read them. And when you read that, they do these connections for us. And one of the connections here, in verse 5, which isn't obvious to a casual reader, but this is, there's a connection, this is a pointer that, that goes from here right to the Jewish people's experience escaping from Egypt. There's a language here that connects the two. Okay, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. When you, when you turn to that escape from Egypt, when the Israelites are fleeing from Pharaoh, when Pharaoh changes his mind and he pursues Israel to get them back or destroy them when their back is up against the wall when Pharaoh is there in front of them and his army and the raging sea is an ellie for them it's an extinction level event for them when the raging sea is behind them if they go forward Pharaoh will destroy them if they, if they carry on going the sea will destroy them you can't, go, you can't walk through see two million people across a great chasm, the backs are up against the wall. And when does God do? What does God do? Look, listen to these. This is Exodus 14, 27 to 29. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, that's the connective there, okay? At daybreak, the sea went back to its place. But the Israelites crossed on dry ground. And, and you've got to understand what's going on here. They've got their backs to Pharaoh, their faces to the sea, they're trapped. It's night time. Moses, and I know we sometimes envision on me, that Moses goes to the Red Sea, puts up his staff, and then instantaneously there's a party. And it's not actually what the Bible describes. What the Bible describes is that he puts his stick up and through the night, this duration, maybe many hours, God sends a wind and during an elapsed amount of time through the night the sea parts slowly it seems so what does that mean for the Israelites it means they have an entire night of fear of anxiety of what has Moses led us into what have we done we're doomed we're doomed we're doomed you can imagine those voices in the camp of the night. And when does God's help come? It comes at daybreak. And I think that's what the psalm is telling us. It's reminding the people of God, look, you remember, you know the history. Every Israelite knew the history of, of where the beginning of their nation. You know that we took the whole night for that seat apart. God showed up. At daybreak. His help come. And the psalmist is telling us, he's telling our world, Christian, that God's help will come at daybreak, at his timing, when he says so. Trust God's timing. Verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. 
the agent of God's power, we see it at the beginning of creation, don't we? The agent of God's power is his word. He lifts his voice. When God speaks, things happen. I've been watching a bit of Blackadder Goes Forth lately. Uh, hilarious comedy based on World War I. And uh, look, Blackadder's always got something to say for himself. Always. But when uh, Colonel Melchett walks into the room, like you can see in the picture, we can just about see the picture. Even Blackadder stands to attention and is mute. Okay? Reminds me, look, you may not believe this, okay? But I, I had a lot to say for myself in class at school. Okay? All right? But if Mr. Black ever walked into the classroom, the principal, the head, if Mr. Black walked, and his name tells you what his character is like, doesn't he? If Mr. Black walked into the room, not even Montez would dare speak. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Can you see what God is saying? Whatever is going on out there, whether in Eastern Europe or Adelaide, Northeast, when God lifts his voice, when he speaks, when his timing has reached its fullness, the entire chaotic scenario ceases. The earth melts. It comes to an end. It, it tells us it's a picture of God silencing aggressors. God stopping warlords. God humbling those who exalt themselves and bringing their ambitions to nothing. It's what the Bible says. That when God speaks, He brings the ambitions of whoever who desires evil to a swift end. The earth melts. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Jesus' voice. Jesus, remember, is the, is the physical representation of the being we know as God. When he's in that boat and he's asleep and his disciples wake him because they fear they're going to drown, Jesus gets up and listen to this. He rebuked the wind and the waves and spoke quiet. Again, and it demonstrates to us is Jesus' word and the fact that his voice can do such things, calm a raging sea, reminds us that it was his voice that created the world in Genesis 1. And this voice in Psalm 46, verse 6, this is the voice of Jesus. He lifts his voice and there's calm. God is with us in the crises. And the last point, and this will be a brief one, lastly and briefly, God is to be awed in crises. Crises or crisis. Okay, God is to be awed in crisis. Here, here's God's word to our world today. Verse 8 and verse 9. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease. Did you hear that? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. I've already referred to World War II, 1939, September the 1st, 
1939 to September the 2nd, 1945. Six years. Claimed 70 million lives. Hitler, Hitler seemed unstoppable. You know, there were 42, at least 42 assassination attempts on his life. Everyone failed. Uh, uh, Cruz in his film Val- Val- Valkyrie. Valkyrie, thank you. Uh, uh, illustrates one of those incidences. Hitler seemed unstoppable. But on the 6th, the 6th of June, 6th of June, 1944, D-Day, the Allied forces landed on the shores of Normandy and it spelled the beginning of the end of Hitler. And in just over a year from then, it was the end of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and their stampede across the world. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. Here's what Winston Churchill, the great British Prime Minister, a key figure in the victory, Here's what Winston Churchill says. And look, Churchill was, is not believed to have been a committed Christian believer. He may well have been. It's not something that's necessarily documented about him. But here's what he said. Here's what he said. The longer one lives, the more one realises that everything depends upon chance. And by chance, it means the word we're familiar with, providence. And the harder it is to believe that this omnipotent factor in human affairs arises simply from blind interplay of of events. Chance, fortune, good luck, destiny, fate, providence seem to me only different ways of expressing the same thing, to wit, that a man's own contribution to his story, to his life story, is continually dominated by an external superior power. Did you hear that? Winston Churchill said, on winning the war with the Allied forces, to wit, that, and this is talking about himself, that a man's own contribution to his life story is continually dominated by an external superior power. Churchill testifying that God makes wars Cease. Come see the works of the Lord. He, look, I've highlighted the key bits for you. He has brought peace to the world. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Friends, our hope lies in God. It's because it's God who stops wars. It's God who ultimately brought Hitler down. And it's God who will smash the weapons of warfare in our world today. What is the hope of the Ukraine? It is God. It is God. He makes wars cease to the end. Christian, the, the greatest help that we can give that dear nation of our world the greatest thing we can do for them today, and we can do right now, is to beseech the God 
who makes wars cease. It's to call upon him collectively as a body of people to set ourselves to seeking him and calling upon him to intervene, to thwart the purposes of aggressors, to call upon his name because he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. That's where our hope is. And so, friends, as I conclude, and so, what's our response? What is our response to all this? What do we then do knowing all this? And the psalm tells us in verse 10, Be still! And know that I am God. Do you know what God is saying here? I'm going to do this in my black country accent. Okay? From Birmingham. Not Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, UK. Shut up! That's what God is saying. That is the force of it. Shut up! Quiet! Be still! Here's what Derek Kidner, the commentator, writes. Be still is not in the first place here in this psalm the place, sorry, is not in the first place comfort for the harassed, but it's a rebuke to a restless and turbulent world. Quiet! Leave off. Can you see? We read Psalm 10, don't we? Like God said, hey, be quiet. It's not. This is a rebuke. This is God saying, shut up! I think it's like you know what you say to the kids sometimes how about enough give me a moment silence please and the reason he says this is because he wants the world to know that he calls the shots that he is in control it's God saying calm down I've got this one I've got this one I've got this one. He's saying to the world, I've got this one. Let me handle this. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, Christian, in our predicaments, lovingly rebuking us, hey, just calm down. Stop, will you? Stop. I've got this. Christian, he's got this. Whatever your crisis, whatever your predicament, he's got this. Trust his timing. He's with you. He'll find you. He possesses ultimate power. He's got this. Be still and know that I'm God. Be in all. And let's see, as we seek him, as we cast ourselves upon him, how he will intervene in our lives, in our world. Amen. God can be trusted in crisis. God is with us in crisis. God is to be awed in crisis. At this juncture, at this point, we'll say farewell to any who have been with us live streaming. And uh, thank you, 
Join us again next week. We hope next week that the message will go from the church Facebook page. Uh, but I'll leave you a message there. The Lord be with you. We hope you can join us again. Uh, if you're local, hey, why not come along? Come to a live service here. We meet at Modbury Special School, Dampier Avenue in Hope Valley, 10am every Sunday. God bless you.